Reevaluating our lives in light of the Bema Seat judgment of Christ. Next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. If you've received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that's wonderful. Your salvation is secure and you're on your way to heaven. But did you realize you'll still give an account for your life and stand before the Bema Seat judgment of Christ? This is not regarding your salvation, but rather eternal rewards. And today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor helps us get ready. He wants us to consider three things in light of the Bema Seat found in 2 Corinthians 5. We'll begin at verse 12. Someone once said it this way, it's possible to have a saved soul. You might want to jot this down because this is a good one. You might have a saved soul and still live a wasted life. That's here what Paul is saying to the church. And I can see a little bit of what he's saying because like these guys are caught up in the wrong things. Paul didn't do anything to them. He's not living in sin. These accusations are not right. These guys are just trying to draw people to themselves and actually becoming very successful at it. He says, it doesn't matter, man. My aim, is to, my aim is to please the Lord because I know I'm going to have to stand before the Bema seat. And if I take any more time defending myself and I take any more time trying to convince you, it's going to prevent me from living for the things of God. I'm going to give it to you because I think I have an obligation to tell you the truth. But in a couple chapters, he's going to be done with that. He's going to move on to other things and he's going to continue on in the ministry that God's called him to. Even though he did take a few moments to say, guys, you know me. I love you. I serve there. I can't believe you're listening to them. But let's get back to what's important. Get your eyes back on the Lord. The Bema seat's coming. I love what the author of the Hebrews wrote in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. It says, for God is not unfair. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you've shown your love to him by caring for other Christians as you still do. Our great desire is that you'll keep right on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. I love that. So this Bema Seed is something that we will expect and um, it's never too late to reevaluate your life now in light of the Bema Seed then. That's what heavenly minded means. You can see how heavenly mind would change you, knowing that you will have to give account for your life. You go, so well, I'm, I'm saved. I believe in Jesus. And I say, fantastic. But now what are you going to do with your life? You're saved. You're redeemed. Your life is restored, restructured. I think of, that's a great time to insert all the wonderful testimonies that are here among us right now. Of you were going in one direction, God apprehended you, and now your life is radically different doing wonderful, great things for the name of Jesus. Awesome things, just beyond your comprehension. And you recognize the the value of a life in the hands of God. Your life, living faithfully. And anything less than that. You know, verse 11, he says, Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord. Please don't let anyone come to you and say that the fear of the Lord is not a biblical doctrine. Paul uses a different word here, the terror of the Lord. This is a sense of holy, awesome awe. 
just being blown away by who God is. I think of the example of Moses being in the presence of the Lord. And, and even just the manifestation of the presence of the Lord with that burning bush where God's speaking to him through the burning bush. You just, you know, take your shoes off, man. This is a special place. This is a special time. You're on holy ground, man. And just recognize, and I think Moses, if anything, could just say, this is God and I'm not. And that's the beginning of the fear of the Lord. This isn't a type of fear where now you're going to leave here today and go, well, the Bema seat. Oh, man, what am I going to do? And you're just, that, that, that's not, the, it's the Bible says that it's the love of God that motivates and moves us. Not the fear of God. But if you lack a fear of God, if you don't recognize who God is and who you are, if you don't understand that there are consequences for bad decisions, if you don't understand that pleasing God is more important than pleasing man, and you don't have a healthy fear and respect for the authority of God in your life, you're going to do some great damage to yourself and to others. If you just blow God off, you go, well, you know, God is a God of love. I follow God now. I have a peace about this. And you think that going in that direction without a holy, righteous fear of God, and instead you're worried about what people are going to think, and you're worried about what this and what... I'm just letting you know, I'm warning you ahead of time. Man to man, man to woman, pastor to congregation. A lot of pain and suffering await you. Just because of that small decision. He says, we know the fear of God, so therefore we persuade men. This also could be a little insight to the judgment of God. Because we know the judgment of God and what will happen to people apart from Jesus, because of that and because we know that and we're well known to God, we trust that you also, like, we trust that you know us, that we are connected and that our lives are spent to persuade God. Now, verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to glory on our behalf, that you may have something to answer those who glory in appearance and not in heart. So here's just a little statement. He goes, you guys, you're listening to people that are all about the appearance. They're all about the outward. They're all about trying to persuade you. And actually, it's not persuasion for the false teachers. It's manipulation. And there's a fine line between those two. So Paul says, look, you, you know us. Our, you know us by your conscience. You know us by your practice. You know us by our testimony. He goes on and on. That's all been the, the insight of this, chap, of this book up to this point. And, but, but then he says, look, look, we don't commend ourselves again to you, but we give you an opportunity to step back and think and glory on our behalf on what God has done through our lives. So you may have something to answer those who have this fake glory in outward appearances. That's really all they are, Paul says. He says, what a privilege to be used of the Lord. What a privilege to see the kingdom of God built up, to use our money, to use our influence, to use, in Paul's example, to use his life to build up, to be strengthened. And then that commendation. If if God judges his own people, then how will he judge the lost? This is something that should move us, something that should motivate us. We're sent out as missionaries to literally deliver others. Don't, not, not missionaries just around the world while there's that place. God could call many of you out on the mission field and it would be our pleasure to train you and send you. That's our desire, to get you out on small teams, let you be on a couple, let you lead a couple, and then bring you up here, pray for you, and say goodbye. Be our pleasure to do that. But it's not just that. Because we're all going to leave in a few minutes and we're out taking the gospel with us in your neighborhood. You're going to reach people that would never walk in the doors of a building like this, but they will come to you 
Well, here's, here's something you could do on that third day watering. Do it with a hose in your front yard and put up a sign that says, you know, free answers to questions or something or talk to your neighbor. And you could find a way to use it so that, you know, how things, you know, are in and out of the house and inside the air conditioning. I mean, it's probably more in Arizona than it is now, but it's been getting hot. Uh, and you're in and out of the air conditioning. But if you're out expressing yourself to your community, you're a missionary. That's your mission. That's where you're at, at work. You're not kind of hiding. Like, nobody knows you're a believer. You know, they, you invite them to, uh, to a big outreach. You know, we give those cards, and, and you finally give an outreach, something that, you know, that we do the harvest thing, or we do a movie thing. And the last thing you want to hear from one of your coworkers is, you go to church? Is this for real? Are we going together? You know, you want to be, you're on mission. You're a missionary everywhere you go. It doesn't have to be overseas. And, and here Paul's like, you know, we're, we're not wanting to commend ourselves. You just look at our lives. Our motivation is heaven. The seriousness is the fear of the Lord. And our hearts are broken for the loss no matter where we are. And he, Paul uses the attacks on himself. He turns them around as a motivation for the church and gives us three things to consider the Bema seat now. Three things. You can jot them down. There's three things he wants us to consider in light of the Bema seat. Number one, a clean conscience. Verse 11. He says, I trust also, or excuse me, I also trust are well known in your consciousness. Your consciences. However you say that. You know what I'm saying. A clean conscience. And how many times have we learned before that the softest pillow to lay our weary heads down, especially when people are doing stuff like Paul's facing right here is just a clear and a clean conscience. That's how you get a good night's sleep. You're just like, you know, Lord, as far as I know, I'm good with you. And someone, and in, in case you don't know, you know, Psalm 139 says, it's one of those prayers you can say, God, search me and know me and reveal to me if there's any unclean thing in me. And I'm just going to go down. I'm going to go to sleep tonight. And I've trusted you all this time I was awake. And now in my clean conscience, I'm putting my head on the pillow and I'm going to trust you while I go to sleep. And Lord, I'll see you in the morning unless you give me a cool dream, you know, at 2 a.m. So I'm just going to lay down trusting you with a clean conscience and I'm going to wake up. But do you want a troubled night's sleep? Do you want to be troubled by what people think? Do you want to be troubled in your regular daily life? Then live with an unclean conscience. Live wondering if people will really find out about the, the truth about you. Live in such a way where you're wondering if you'll get caught in that lie. Live in such a way with an unclean conscience that you're wondering if you get caught in the lie, but you actually have told so many lies that you don't even know which one you're going to get caught for. And then you begin to deaden your conscience because you don't want to feel it anymore. The Bible even speaks about having our conscience seared like with a hot iron. The idea in the picture there is that it's so seared that you have no feeling anymore. You don't even have a conscience. That's how far. So much so that not only do you have no conscience feeling, but you also have been, you have been neglecting your relationship with the Lord because that's what happens when you don't have a clean conscience and you are now grieving the Holy Spirit in your life. So now even the Spirit of God is trying to get your attention. You don't feel it in your conscience. You don't feel it from the Spirit of God. And that, man, that's a bad recipe for disaster. So a clean conscience. You want to think ahead to the Bema seat? then remember a clean conscience. It's something that you and you you alone before the Lord knows. None of us know your conscience right now. I don't know. I wouldn't be able to tell looking in your eyes. I wouldn't be able to tell, you know, reading through your Bible. I wouldn't be able to tell watching you. That's profoundly personal between you and the Lord. It's something he's given you as a check 
to be able to tell. Even unbelievers have a conscience. It's just not alive by the Spirit of God. The dwelling Spirit of God in us that will say, you know, in case we start to ignore our conscience and the Spirit of God goes, no, 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 no. And you begin to, oh, yes, you're right, Lord. You're right. And by the way, that Psalm 139 passage is Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. And the second thing he says and gives us in this section to consider in the Bema seat is found in verse 12, uh, where he says that we don't commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to glory on our behalf that you may have something to answer those who glory in appearance and not in heart. Here, it's not so easily seen. I want to pull it out for you. Number two is a confidence in God. Paul was able to say this because he had a confidence in God. And I think he's pointing us back. Go back to chapter 3, verse 1, because he used this phrase before, this idea of commending. We saw it back in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, do we again begin to commend ourselves or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation? Or letters of commendation for you. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by man, all men. You are manifestly epistle of Christ. There's this confidence, verse 4, he says, and we have such trust through Christ toward God. Paul didn't serve for the praise of man. He didn't do what he did in Corinth to gain a following in Corinth. He went there out of obedience. He stayed there out of obedience. And God used him. He wasn't interested in building up his own reputation. I think he understood Proverbs chapter 27, verse 2, where it said, Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Because to live for the man, for the praise of man, puts you and I in a place where we exalt reputation over character. It's a big difference between the two. Where we, ex- we exalt, like he's saying here back in chapter 5, we exalt the outward appearance more than we exalt the inner person and the personal relationship. Is it possible to be inwardly corrupt and look okay on the outside? Jesus, he told the Pharisees, you guys are like, think about what it would have been like to have Jesus looking and go, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You're full of dead men's bones. You look alive on the outside. You're all clean and prepared and ready, but inside you're not alive. And we were talking about that today with the, in our pastor's meeting, you know, just thinking about how in our lives and pastors, in our lives as a church, we don't want to be like the church in Sardis. We don't want just to have a name that we're alive and just say, oh, think about what they're doing over there and think about what they're doing over there, but we're just filled with a bunch of people that don't, aren't alive to Jesus. Every chair is filled, but there's no life here. We don't want that. We pray against that. We don't want to some reputation and not have a character as a church. And the only way to do that is for us individually. To be, to be really exhorted in our lives because we are the church. The church is filled up with all of us. We are the church, and so we don't want to have a name, oh, you know, alive, great, look, look at all the great things, and then come to find out that, no, 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 that, you guys think you're alive, but you're really dead inside. It's a very powerful thing to consider when you think about the Bema Seat of Christ because Jesus, when he said that to the church in Sardis, he said that to a church. He didn't say it to a bunch of pagans on the corner. He said it to people that said they were following him. To people that were at one time. By the time he wrote that little post-it note, they had left the things of the Lord. Or the church in Ephesus that had left their first love. It's amazing that God would come and Jesus would come and write a note to the church in Ephesus. This is all in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And he would come and tell the church in Revelation. He would tell the church in Ephesus, you guys need to remember from where you've fallen, repent, and then go back and do the first works. 
That's the way out. You find yourself right now considering the Bema seed and you don't have a clean conscience and you don't have confidence in God, then the same word to Ephesus is the same word to you. Remember from where you have fallen. Go back to the place before the compromise started. Repent for the compromise and the sin and then start repeating the first works again and you'll catch up no problem. Right back on track. The next thing in light of the Bema seat that will really prepare us as we have a heavenly mind translating into an earthly perspective is a clean conscience, verse 11, confidence of God, verse 12 and chapter 3, verses 1, 2 through 4. The third one is to learn how to ignore criticisms. Ignore criticisms. That's what he says in verse 13. He says, for if we beside ourselves, it's for God. But if we're a sound mind, it's for you. They were accusing him just like they did Jesus. Jesus' own brothers thought he was mad. That he was beside himself. And so Paul gets the same criticism. Looking at Paul and what they were saying is that you're beside yourself. You're not even thinking clearly. You're not even sane. And, you know, there are times I've heard, not many, but there have been occasions when people get saved and they start going just excited for the things of God that people in their family go, you're crazy, man. What kind of church are you in? Is that, that's, you're in a cult, man. You're involved in a cult. And what do you answer? You go, well, man, I, I hope not, but this is what they tell me. They tell me to read the Bible, so I read the Bible. They tell me to pray and pray. They, they tell me to, 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 to hang out with other believers, so I hang out with other believers. I mean, I don't, they didn't tell me I had to stay. You know, they didn't tell me uh, that they didn't lock the doors. You know, they didn't make me come in and drink the Kool-Aid. They didn't do any of that. I just love Jesus. I was lost yesterday, and now I'm found. My life has changed. I, I want to make a difference for the world. And this is what the Bible says. And this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. You know, the pastor only teaches for like 45 minutes. I read the Bible for 10 hours. I got more out of it than that Bible study. All right. And the zeal. And so people can't handle that. And one of the techniques they do to throw you off is go, you're crazy, man. You're crazy. You're involved. And they'll start calling names and everything. That happened to Paul. And so you know what Paul says? He says, well, even if we are crazy, it's for the Lord. I mean, that's what he says right here. I mean, even if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. But let's just say we're not because we don't think we are. If we are a sound mind, it's for you. So either way, the kingdom wins. You know, if you guys don't want to receive from me and you just think I'm not all there, then, then, then my mind, it's unto the Lord. But if you give me the benefit of the doubt and you say I'm a sound mind, then, then believe me what I say, that Jesus loves you and he died for your sins. And you may not be as zealous or as crazy as me, but if you hook into this love of Jesus, it will change your life too. So you can be able to learn to even take the criticisms and turn them in such a way that people will be blessed. Paul's enemies were going after him full force, which left him with a choice. He could either put up a fight or keep his eyes on the Lord and serve God. It would be easy just to stop the work of ministry so Paul could go after all his critics, but instead he uses the very criticism to build them up. He says, either way, however you think of me, God's going to use me. And you're going to end up being blessed by it. And so the Bema Seat judgment isn't something to fear, but something to look forward to and serve with great eternal motivation. Especially for some of you, you can relate in, in my life that so much of my life was just wasted, just gone, never to be recovered, just thrown away. There, there wasn't any good that I can remember. And if I did remember anything good, it was ruined by all the bad that I ever did. And it certainly was never done in motivating to bring anyone to a knowledge of relationship with God. It was mocking God and making fun of God and making fun of other believers and making fun of churches and you name it. That was my life. So when I think of the Bema seat and God giving me another chance, you want to talk about second chances, second chances are right now. 
that God gives you a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance to make a difference so that by the time you get to the Bema seat, by the time you stand before the judgment seat, there will be noticeable progress and rewards from your life because of what he has done in your life and continues to do. So it's not something to fear. Oh, man, I got to stand before the Lord. Hey, you have been standing in the Lord all this time, so standing before him won't be a problem because he has taught you how to live in communion with him. A clean conscience, a confidence in God, and learn how to ignore criticism. Three things we do well to consider and remember in light of the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace, and he'll be right back with more. Would you like to hear today's message again? You can listen online 24-7 at calvaryco.church. Just do a search for today's scripture reference. Another way to go is to download our church app and Grace FM Colorado app. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. Well, this month we've picked out a resource we believe will really be helpful to your life. It's called Contented in All Things Peace. Many are asking, is this all there is to life? They're not happy, and contentment seems out of reach. There is a way to find peace and contentment in all things. And Pastor Jeff Guype reveals that to us in contentment. So if you've been struggling in this area and really want to experience contentment, this is a must-read. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. We can't thank you enough for your support. God is doing a wonderful work through the radio these days, and you can be a part of it. Call toll-free 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.church. You can also write to Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. Let's return to 2 Corinthians 5 as Pastor Ed highlights a phrase found in verse 11. The thing that jumps out the most before we head out is back in verse 11. This is a little phrase but it's so sweet because you're not going to get to heaven because of something I taught you. And you're not going to get to heaven because you have a Bible or you were raised in church. You're not going to get to heaven because you've lived a good life and you have a lot of things you can think of that will turn into rewards. And by the way, there is some talk about rewards not being a good motivation. And I remember struggling with that. If you feel that way right now, I remember struggling with that as a new believer. Um, In the early years of ministry, I started serving in the uh, children's ministry. And I was serving with a particular teacher. He was known as Bear. And Bear was just a big, big teddy bear of a man uh, who lived a rough life. And God redeemed his life. And I had the privilege of serving with him and and having our son in his class. He's just a wonderful man. And and he used to give the kids candy and money. And it bothered me. Because my thought was, you know what? The kids need to, you know, for their memory verses and for the coming to class. And, and, and he would just, like, he was a giving man. And I remember, you know, I'm just this young punk that's a brand new believer. And Big Bear and Skinny Worm Ed, you know. And just like, <laughs> I'm just like, eventually I had enough courage. And I just took him to side after class after we were cleaning up. And all the kids had gone. And. And I said, I just, these kids should love the Bible because they love the Bible. Why are you giving them candy? And, and why are you giving them these sour gum? And why are you giving them dollars? And, and he just patiently looked at me, I'm sure in his mind, going, this kid has a lot to learn. And he said this, and I'll never forget it. 
He said, you know, Ed, whatever it takes to get the kids in the word is what I'm willing to do. And if it means a little bit of gum and a few quarters here and there, the kids will remember the gum and they'll remember the quarters, but they'll remember the word of God more. Now, it's not exact quote, but that is one lesson he taught me in that moment. And that was a, that's what he continued to do throughout his life until he went home to be with the Lord. So don't let rewards throw you. Try it with your kids if you don't believe me. You know, throw them five bucks and tell them to go do something. I bet you they'd do it. Well, they should do it on their own. Well, you know, if you want to just end all the arguing, give them five bucks. It'll motivate them. And then, and then lavish appreciation on them and say, you did such a great job because it's just five bucks. And, and I don't know, whatever kind of motivation. It, the rewards, and learn how to reward, you know, with, with praise and appreciation and love of your friends and your family because time is short. Next time on Abounding Grace, we'll learn that in Christ, we are a new person. See how to live in light of that truth, Tuesday and Wednesday. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.